The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open them to Jonah chapter 4. You can also follow along in version. We have an event specifically set up for today that will have all of our all of the verses that we're going to be talking about in that. So if you have missed the last several weeks, here's the recap of Jonah, which will probably be for many of you, like this will be the limit of what you know uh, for the story. I had someone remind me today of the VeggieTales version of Jonah, and she didn't sing We Are the Pirates Who Don't Do Anything, but I knew what she was talking about. Um, So in Jonah chapter 1, we learned, one of the things we learned is that God is just in regards to the sinfulness of mankind. God sees what's happening in Nineveh, and he's, he's disgusted by it. He sees this sinfulness, he sees their wickedness, and he's going to do something about it. He's going to destroy it. Uh, and one of the ways that God demonstrates his justice is through mercy. And that sounds kind of counter to us, um, but you can go back and you can listen to uh, that message. But God's going to judge them And one of the things that we have to remember is God's justice is not idle. So as we, as we go through our lives and we make choices to, to be obedient or to be disobedient, God's not idle in the midst of that. It's easy for us to think in the midst of our disobedience that God doesn't care. He's going to ignore it. He's going to overlook it. It's not that big deal to him, but it is a big deal and God's going to do something about it. So what does he do? He sends Jonah to go to Nineveh, to warn them, because God is not only a just God, but God's a merciful God. So he's going to send Jonah um, to Nineveh to warn them. And Jonah's response is apathy, right? He doesn't care about the Ninevites. And his plan then is to hop on a ship in Joppa and travel 2,500 miles west um, to the edge of the known world at the time. And he does this, and this is sinful, and the consequences of his sin uh, uh, boil over like a pot all over the stovetop, right? They, They impact and they affect all of the other people. He goes down into the hold of the ship, and God brings this storm up, and Jonah's sleeping, and and this tempest is flaring, and the sailors on the boat are trying to figure out what's going on. And the reality is, is that Jonah would rather die then do what God has called them to. So there's this period of time where, where he says, this is on me, and they cast lots, and sure, it's Jonah, and Jonah ends up in the water. Again, this is part of the story that you're probably all familiar with, and God's grace is there. God's grace shows up with a fish, and this fish swallows Jonah. And then in chapter 2, we see Jonah experience the full consequences of his apathy. We see Jonah experience the consequences of his reluctance and of his disobedience um, as the fish takes him deeper and deeper and deeper into the sea. Um, he realizes and recognizes that God is graceful to him even there. He knows that there is nowhere he can go, um, not even into the depths of the sea. We talked about the way the Jewish people, uh, people in the Near East at this time would have viewed the world, that Jonah was on the way to hell. Jonah was on the way to Sheol. And he recognizes his own sinfulness, however, however faulty, however, however slight, he recognizes the reality of his own sinfulness because God is merciful. 
And this is another thing that we can learn, is that God's conviction of your sin is a mercy. See, when we sin, when we're disobedient, when we're reluctant, when we're apathetic to the needs and the cares and the concerns of others, and when we start to feel bad about that, that's a grace of God. That's a mercy. We shouldn't flee God's conviction. We should be thankful because it's his justice. It's his mercy. And Jonah kind of comes to this realization and the fish spits Jonah out onto the beach. And then in Jonah 3, Jonah walks 500 miles. Cue the song. Someone said we should have played that song last week. Um, Jonah walks 500 miles. See how you can get the cadence right to Nineveh. And he walks into town and he gives him an eight-word sermon. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Remember, he doesn't talk about who's going to destroy it. He doesn't talk about why they're going to destroy, be destroyed. He doesn't talk about who God is. He doesn't tell them how they can avoid all of this. He just walks in and says, in 40 days, you're all going to die. And then something strange happens. The people repent. They hear this message and they repent and they, they take action. They believe it. And it's not just the people when you read through the text. Even, even it says the animals repented. One of the translations talks about the cows wore burlap. So imagine that for a moment. It wasn't just the people that repented, but it was the cows that repented of their sin. The king of Nineveh steps down off his throne and removes his royal robes and he repents as well. And he calls on his nation to repent. And God in his mercy, God in his grace, grace sees this and he doesn't destroy Nineveh. And for us who've, who've maybe only heard the first three chapters of the book, like we're, we're tempted to read the kid version of this. God sees what's happening in Nineveh. He's going to send Jonah to them. Jonah doesn't want to do it. He ends up in the belly of a fish. He repents, gets spat out, walks into Nineveh, proclaims the message. The people repent. And we're like, that's a pretty good story. Right? Game over. That's a, that's a fantastic story. Only it's not very complete. There's more to the story, and that's Jonah chapter 4. And coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, it's in chapter 4, the one that we overlook. It's the one where we learn the most about Jonah, and it's the one where we learn the most about ourselves. And I wonder if that's why we overlook it. Let's uh, read Jonah Chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. You can follow along in your Bible. I want to encourage you to do that. Actually, I'm going to start at 3.10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? For those of us with kids, we've probably heard this attitude from our children, haven't we? Just kill, I'd rather be dead than wash the dishes. 
I'd rather be dead than mow the yard. Lord, I would rather be dead than do what you've called me to do. And one of the things that we need to see here um, is that Jonah hates God's character. Let's just cut right to the chase. Jonah hates God's character. So as we've evaluated and we've thought about why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, surely the Ninevites were the enemies of the Israelites. But Jonah didn't not want to go to Nineveh because he was fearful of the Ninevites. Jonah didn't want to do what God called him to do because Jonah hates God's character. And he hates the people that God loves. What's most interesting about this is Jonah's not ignorant of God's character. He knows exactly who God is. Like it would be one thing, right? If Jonah didn't know who God was, he he wasn't sure of God's character. But Jonah knows exactly who God is. In fact, he, he parrots back scripture where it says, I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. That's actually Exodus 34, 6. So when Jonah says this to God, he's, he's quoting scripture. He's quoting the Hebrew Bible. He's, he's parroting back God's words. Like this is the way that God has self-identified. God, I know who you are. You're generous and you're gracious and you're merciful and you save people. And I don't want anything to do with you, God. See, I hate the Ninevites. And I just want them to burn in hell. I want them to die. And I don't even want them to know that it's coming. Imagine how much Jonah has to hate God's character and hate the people that God loves. To be able to say, like, I don't even want them to see it coming. I just want them to die. And I wonder in this moment, if you're God, how would you respond? Parents, how do you respond when your children say, I would rather die than mow the yard? How would you respond if you were God? And see, because of who God is, God simply says this. Is it right for you to be angry about this, Jonah? Jesus tells this parable, and I read this um, when I read Jonah 4. As I've read Jonah 4, I can't get this parable out of my mind. It's in Matthew chapter 20. Again, you can follow along. You can read the whole thing in in you version, but it's Matthew chapter 20, and it's about this landowner who has this vineyard, and he goes out because he needs to find workers. So he starts off early in the morning, and he finds people who are willing to work, and he says, okay, if you come and work in my vineyard, I'll pay you this much, and you'll work all day. And the people are like, okay, that sounds great. So day kind of progresses. There's more work to be done in the vineyard. Landowner goes back out, finds finds the next set of people. Will you come and work in the field? Yes. Okay, I'll pay you this much. Work in the field. And that happens a number of times throughout this parable. And finally, it's the end of the day, which probably the least motivated people, the least motivated workers are still kind of like they woke up late. They went to the place where you would go in this town to, 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 to be hired out for the day. 
And the landowner goes to these people who, who had who'd slept late, who had been lazy all day long, who hadn't been there, kind of the worst of the worker pool. And this landowner says, will you come and work in my fields? And these guys say, yeah. So they go to work and kind of at the end of the day, I imagine that those last group of people worked for about 45 minutes. At the end of the day, it's time to settle accounts, right? And the landowner, according to Jesus's parable, landowner does something interesting. He starts with the people who came at the end of the day and he pays them a full day's wage. So imagine this for a moment. You're the, you're the guy or the gal that was there at 5.45 a.m. And these people come along at 4.45 or 4.50 and work for half an hour or 45 minutes and they get paid the same as you. How are you feeling in that moment? The workers, of course, who started out early came to the landowner and they're like, hey, what's the deal? We worked all day and you're paying them the same amount of wage and this is what the landowner says. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous when I'm kind to others? See, we're starting to get this picture of God's grace. We're starting to have this understanding that God's grace doesn't work the way we think it should. And this sets us into this place with Jonah. And if this makes you uncomfortable, like when we read this story, if this makes us uncomfortable, remember I said that conviction is good? Good! You should be uncomfortable. You should not, in your humanity, like the fact that people who go and work in the field after you get paid the same wage as you. In your humanity, you should be uncomfortable with the fact that people who have, who have rejected God for their entire life and in the last possible moment, they accept him and God welcomes them. And you should, in your humanity, you should be offended by that. You should be bothered by that. And not self-righteous bothering. You should be bothered by conviction because this is how God works. This is God's conviction. See, when we judge the way that God gives to others, we're judging, judging God's own character of grace. When we look at other people and we, we see that they have things more than what we have because God has given that to them and we judge that, we're not just judging them, we're judging God's character of grace. I just have a list of questions as I work through this. And again, you'll find all of these in the version. Are there things God is doing in the lives of others that you're angry about? Are you jealous about? Have you ever asked, why did God give them that and me this? Why did God do that? Are there consequences that you believe God owes to other people? So this is God's convicting of us. 
God is working on our hearts. And the question that we have to ask is, who do we think we are to judge God's character? As God doles out grace to other people, as he gives it freely, who are we to judge God's character? Who do we think we are? Well, let's see what happens next. So the Lord in verse four says, is it right for you to be angry about this? So verse five and six, then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So imagine Jonah's mindset here, right? He's, he's angry with God's character. He's angry with God. God's like, dude, why are you so mad? And Jonah builds this little shelter. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head and shaded him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Man, let's, um, let's talk about this. Jonah heads to a nice vantage point outside the city so he can see if God's really going to destroy the city. If this were here, Jonah would drive up to the, to the top of the bluff, right? Get a nice little perch and wait for that meteorite from heaven to come in and smash the entire city. He builds this little shelter and God, in his grace, it's so amazing. See, we kind of read this and we see he made this shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen. But the shelter actually wasn't enough of a covering. Did you see that in the story? What does God do? He provides a plant to grow there and spread its leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. So Jonah tries to build this little thing to get away from the sun, and he can't do it. And God's so merciful that he provides a plant in Jonah's angry, in Jonah's hatred of God's character, but God still covers him. God still protects him because God loves Jonah because as much as Jonah hates God and his character, God loves people and God loves Jonah. God's gracious. Here's verses seven through 11. But God also arranged for a worm The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he said. He exclaimed. Then Jonah said to God, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? You should laugh at this. Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. The Hebrew there says um, people who don't know their right hand from their left. Not to mention all the animals. God really is concerned about the animals of Nineveh. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And I just heard some of you flip the page because you're like, what happens next? This is the end of the story. This is, this is the end of the story. 
sidebar that we could have a whole nother sermon about. Notice how Jonah's happiness is based on his circumstances. Oh, the conviction of that, right? The plant grows over him and he's happy. He's excited. God has been graceful to me. He's been merciful to me. And then the plant withers and dies. And Jonah's right back to being angry with God. Anybody else? Just me. Awesome. So this is where we kind of need to ask this question. And what makes you mad? When you think about when you think about your life, when you think about the way God works, what makes you mad? See, Jonah's more concerned about the little plant than he is the people of Nineveh. Don't miss that in the story. Jonah is so blinded by his hatred of God and his character, God's grace, that he gets mad about the plant dying. Can you imagine that? Jonah's more worried about every other thing. See, Jonah's more worried about who God judges, who God doesn't judge. Jonah's more worried about the plant than he is the salvation of other people, and he fails to see his own sinfulness. Isn't that easy to do? To be so wrapped up in what other people do that you forget about your own sinfulness? I had a very similar experience to this. Um, earlier in the week. Over the past couple months, our pastors and elders have been reading this book together. And sometime between last Thursday, so a week ago Thursday, and Monday morning when we were going to talk about the last chapter in it, sometime between those four days, I misplaced the book. I knew I took it home. Joe and I talked about it the Thursday before, and I knew I took it home. And I was looking everywhere for that thing. Like I was checking my backpack, I was checking in my, under my seats in my car, I checked at home a bunch of times, I checked in my office a bunch of times, and I'm like, where, where's this book? So I show up at elders meeting, I'm like, well, I know we said we were going to talk about this chapter, but I don't know where my book is. Like I was, it was infuriating to me. So Tuesday morning I wake up, um, one of the things that I do when I wake up in the morning is I look at my like Facebook memories. Right, kind of see what I see the things I talked about or pictures I posted or things that um, I posted about just on that same day. And this quote popped up. This was, I think, from 2019. This was something I posted on my Facebook page. It said, God, make me at least 100 times more grieved, angered, and horrified at my own sin than the sin or the beliefs or opinions of anyone else. Right, so make me 100 times more upset about my own sin than the sin of other people. And that should have been a cue that God was about to speak to me. I mean, that's a convicting quote. So he did anyway, but there was this little cue that was going on. God just teed that right up. So I'd been thinking about Jonah 4 and, and how much Jonah was concerned about the plant over what God wanted him to do and how he was so angry. A few hours later, I'm getting ready to go to Summit uh, Christian College that morning for an event that they were hosting. And once again, that stupid book popped into my head. Like five minutes before I walk out the door, I'm like, where is that book? Right? And then I start, I'm like, I'm the only one home. Right? And I start like raising my voice to myself. Right? Anybody else do that? Come on, somebody else, please. Please. Like, I'm right, right? I'm like, where, 
where is this book? And then I looked. And on the counter, underneath an envelope that I placed on top of the book was the book. And the first thing that popped into my head was, God, make me at least 100 times more angered at my sin than my anger at finding a book. See, we have to ask ourselves, what do we get mad about? What do we get angry about? It was a book. And I was raging about it. And I know that I was madder about not being able to find that book than I think literally I've ever been over my own sin. What do we get mad about? See, Jonah in his sin wished for, imagine wishing for the death of 120,000 people. Imagine being so sinful that you wish that 120,000 people would die. Imagine being so sinful that you wish one person would die. Jonah, in his own sin, he cared more about his own comfort than his own soul. Jonah, in his sin, chose his own righteousness over the righteousness of God. Jonah, in his own sin, deliberately gave a terrible, hopeless sermon to people. Jonah, in his sin, chose to be cast in the ocean instead of choosing God's grace. Jonah, in his sin, fled from God's call on his life. See, one of the things that the book of Jonah is about, it's about the contrast between God's justice and our justice. What we think is right. What we think God ought to do. What we think we would do if we were God in any given situation. That's one of the things that Jonah's about. It's a contrast, right? God is just and we are self-righteous and we think we know more than God. So these two things come together. And ultimately, it's a question of on what terms do we want God's mercy demonstrated and to whom? What are the terms that we want God's mercy demonstrated? And to whom? Who deserves God's mercy? Who do we think deserves God's grace? This is the question that Jonah wrestles with, and obviously it's the question that we, we wrestle with. Because we're the only ones that can wrestle with the question. See, that's why, that's why Jonah ends this way. And I heard one of you, again, you flipped the page, right? Because you, you wanted to see, like, what, what, what lesson are we supposed to learn from this? I need this spelled out in black and white for me. What am I supposed to do? Well, you are the only one who can answer that question. Only you can respond to God's offensive grace. This book then is about us. See, we're Jonah. We hear from God, then we flee from his commands and his will. We are Jonah. We retreat deeper and deeper into our apathy, our reluctance, and our disobedience. And we retreat deeper and deeper into ourselves.
We are Jonah. See, we know, we know the lingo of relationship. Remember when Jonah was on the boat and they're like, who are you? What's your job? What's your responsibility? Where are you going? Tell us about yourself. And he's like, I am a Hebrew. I serve the Lord. And for many of us, we know the lingo of relationship with God. We know all the right words to say. But often, often, these are empty words for us. We're Jonah. We're chased by an ever-pursuing God who surrounds us with circumstances to draw us in. And see, this is where conviction is a grace. When we read throughout the story of Jonah, we're seeing all of the different circumstances and situations that Jonah's finding himself in. And every single one of them is designed to draw Jonah into grace. To point out the reality of who God is. We're Jonah. We're cast into the pit of our own consequences. We cry out to God often in worldly sorrow in our moments of darkness. And we remember him and we make promises to follow him. That far too often we're never going to keep. How many times have you said, God, if you do this, I will do that. I pro- this time, I promise. If you get me out of this situation, I will do this. See, we are Jonah. We're Jonah. Once the sting and the immediacy of the consequences of our sin have passed, we begin to follow through on our vow in the most selfish way. We point out the sin of others. That's sort of my default. You should just know that. When, when God's conviction really bears down on me, my default move is, is to point the finger. Yeah, God, but what about? Yeah, God, but what about? Yeah, God, but what about? We sit in judgment and we forget that up until a few minutes ago, it was we who is worthy of God's wrath. We're Jonah. When those we hate experience grace, when their repentance is genuine, we get angry. We forget the mercy and the grace that's shown to us. We become bitter, horrible people, just as bad as they are, as those who sin differently than us, as those who are different than us. We're Jonah. So often we complain to God. We'd rather have death than life. We know that God prefers mercy over justice. But many of us would just prefer judgment. In our minds, judgment ought to trump mercy. But only in the lives of others. As I've been thinking about this book over the past several months, Jonah is a story of mercy for me, Judgment for thee. This is what's happening in Jonah. See, we're Jonah. We sit and watch and we hope and pray that God got it wrong. As we watch people respond, we place ourselves in a spot designed to witness other people get judgment from God. Isn't that what Facebook is? Isn't that why you scroll through Facebook for someone to post something that's ridiculous that you disagree with only to watch them get flamed by everybody else? Isn't that such a good feeling? 
to watch someone post something and then see a million people pile on top of them about how wrong they are. See, when we do that, we're, that that's, that's a Jonah move. Taking joy in the defeat of others, that's a Jonah move. We're Jonah. I've got about 85 more of these, by the way. We're Jonah. Just as the worm chews through the stem, devouring the plant from within, the root of bitterness and anger grows up inside of us. And it kills and destroys us. And we cry out to God, right? We call out for his mercy. We're mad that those people are not getting what they deserve. After all, God, I spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. I had a consequence for my sin. And you're letting these Ninevites get off with nothing? Nothing? Like, that's it. God's grace? See how this is a check on our heart? See how this confronts us? Right? Because we've read the Bible for years, right? We come to church on Sundays. We go to Sunday school. We do all those right things. And these people are just going to come along who haven't put in the work that we have. And you're just going to forgive them. Wait a minute. That's not right. See, we're Jonah. God's revealing to us not only his unmerited grace, but his common grace. Through this covering that he gives. See, even Jonah had this plant and he completely didn't deserve it. And God loves him and shows him mercy and grace. At this point in the story, one of the things that we might be wondering is, are there any good characters in the Bible? Has anybody had that question? Jesus, there's one. On Monday, I came into the office and, and Zane um, talked to me at some point. He said, he said, hey, you know, we, so we've just finished Jonah and he's kind of a terrible person, kind of. Um, and then we did judges and they're all terrible people. And he asked the question like, are there any good people in the Bible? And he started talking about Daniel. And then I said, well, actually, Daniel's pretty good. But because I'm a cup half empty kind of person, I have a list against Daniel too. See, if we're wondering, are there any good people in the Bible? Willie spoke too soon. The answer is yes. His name is Jesus. And the Bible is designed for us to ask that question. Are there any good people in the Bible? What's going on here? Why does God use all of these people? Why does God work through all of these people? Why does God show mercy and grace to these people? And see, to ask that question is to answer it, right? Have you seen yourself? This is, this is the best I think this is so good news for us. See, because God uses us. Because if we are Jonah, then God can use us. 
God will use us to point other people to Jesus. See, we don't boast about our salvation. We've talked about this many times. God hasn't saved us because we're so great. God hasn't saved us because who we're going to be. God has saved us because he is great. God has saved us because of his mercy and his kindness. That's why he's done it. When we read the Bible and we ask these questions, aren't there any good people? Yeah, there's one. His name's Jesus. And every other person is a pale shadow. And the question that we have to ask is, will we remain to be Jonah? Will we remain in our sin? Will we remain oblivious to the needs of others? Will our own sinfulness lead others to ruin? Will we ignore God's mercy? Will we do these things? If you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, I just have a couple questions for you. Are you mad about the way God dispenses his grace? Are you frustrated by the way God gives grace to people who in your mind don't deserve it? Are you upset at the way and with whom and to whom God is good? The Lord asks this question, is it right for you to be angry about this? The landowner in Jesus' parable says it this way, is it against the law for God to do what he wants with his grace? Should you be jealous? See, God has saved you and he's at work saving other people. And rather than being upset about the way God dispenses grace to be other to other people, shouldn't we rejoice? Shouldn't we be grateful? Shouldn't we be thankful? That people who are far worse than us, and I say that in our self-righteousness, shouldn't we be grateful that they've come to God? Shouldn't we be glad? And if you're not a follower of Christ, I want to let you know there's hope for you. Like no matter where you are in your, no matter where you are in your journey, right? No matter where you are in the timeline of your life, When you make the decision to follow Jesus, you are going to get the fullness of God's grace on you. You are not going to get the leftovers of God's grace. You're not only going to get a portion of God's grace. You're going to get the fullness of God's grace. Because even the people who started the work at the end of the day in Jesus' parable were paid the full wage. You are not missing out. If you're, if you're saying to yourself, it's too late for me. There's not enough grace for me. I would encourage you to read the story of Jonah and read the parables of Jesus and recognize that God's grace is not only sufficient for your sin, but God's grace is sufficient to give you life, to give you the fullness of life. Let's pray. God, as we've read the story of Jonah over the past month, just ask that we would see ourselves in the story. 
that as we've watched you work on the heart of Jonah, I would just ask that we would see you work in the heart of each one of us. I ask that we would not be Jonah. That we would not be filled with anger and bitterness and rage over your character. But we would rejoice with your character. That we would not see that we are beyond the need for your grace. I ask that we would not judge others for the way that you have shown mercy and grace to them. That we would not get caught up in selfishness. But we would get caught up in joy. That we would see that your mercy and your grace is for everyone. And when someone else experiences your mercy and your grace, help us to rejoice. Help us to be glad. Help us to take comfort in your goodness. When we fall short and we judge others because of the way you've been merciful, God, would you forgive us? Help us see that as sin. Convict us. Help us to understand that your conviction is grace. Your conviction is a gift because it calls us to repentance. And Lord, for those who, for those who don't know you, pray that they would see your grace, that they would see your hand outstretched to them, that they would see your desire for them to have life, to have the fullness of life, to know that they cannot out sin your grace, but they can reject it. And as we've, we've seen so many times, there are so many things that we are not promised. There are so many days and weeks and months that we are not promised. But what we have is this moment to accept your grace, to receive your grace, to act upon your grace. I pray that we would do that today. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.